Charlotte. It's Shelby. It's Riley. And, and it's, it's time, time to smut up and listen. Just a reminder for today's episode and all future episodes, our opinions are subjective. We don't advocate for kink shaming or author shaming. This is all in good smutty fun. Enjoy. Today's episode trigger warnings are explicit sexual content. And today's book is A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor by Catherine Moon. And how many stars did you give it on Goodreads, Shelby? Um, I gave it a two and a half. What? You hated it? Oh my god. I didn't hate it, but like it could have been cut in half easily. Yeah, that's true. I don't need five chapters dedicated to one fucking sex scene. Oh, shit. I gave it a three. This is a reread for me. So when I originally read it, I gave it a three because I felt the same way. Yeah, I I was struggling really hard to get through it. I finished it literally yesterday. Is it just like a lot of like world building and like... No, there's like no world building. Uh-huh. <laughs> But it was smutty. It was smutty. It was. That's what I hear. There's a lot of sex. That's what we're here for. Let's give the people what they want. The people want smut. They do want smut. So we're going to give it to them. Okay, Riley, my quote for you is, they wanted to be fucked well and accepted. I wanted to do it. Uh They want to be fucked well. Who doesn't? And accepted. Who doesn't? My quote is, because I'm not a queen, I'm just a girl who loves fucking. You tell him, girl. You tell him. Okay, so we start with our female main character. Her name is Esther, and that's our only POV. It's just in her POV, the whole book. Her name reminds me of the orphan, so every time I kept oh, reading yeah. it, I was just thinking of, like, a creepy girl that's not a little girl. Ew. She's an adult. She she is 100% an adult. She's in her late 20s. Okay, so. good for Esther. Good for Esther. We start in the prologue, and Esther's currently working as a maid for a wealthy woman, and hears buzzing and moaning coming from a room where the lady of the house is having her appointment with a man called Dr. Underwood. She's eavesdropping outside the door listening to all of this and starts to get aroused and begins to touch herself. Just in the hallway. Yeah. And she's a maid. Outside of her mistress's door. She's just like, eh, that's okay. Suddenly the door opens and she's caught by the doctor who says he's getting the woman some water and she'd better run before the mistress has recovered. Oh. She quickly runs into the first man she sees, like just another employee at the estate, and asks him how fast he can get hard and then uses him to take care of her needs. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, she's just like, you want to fuck? I'm real horny. She's like, I got to get this taken care of, buddy. You, you're it. Girl, you sound like you have a problem. Some time passes and Esther has worked for the Pickering family for two years. So that's the family with the mistress who gets her sessions from Dr. Underwood. Okay. So she's worked there for two years, but they lost their fortune and all of the help is being let go, but they're getting good references. She's constantly hearing whispers from everyone in the house about what a promiscuous girl she is so everyone knows she's just a horny little girl horny little rat i'm sure word gets around she is literally the horniest rat we've ever covered yeah the horniest of rats honestly from just this short little view i have of her yes she hasn't secured a new job yet and as she's walking around the house just doing her business she runs into dr underwood who offers her another job and he says it's not in housekeeping it's fucking he asks her to meet him at his practice later so they can discuss it she shows up later that night and he brings her into his office and she asks if he's 
thought about her often? And he says, yes, he has. Very forward. Yeah. You think about me? And he's like, yeah, of course. (laughs) And then she asks him what makes the buzzing sounds during his appointments with Mrs. Pickering. And he tells her to undress. And so she goes behind a dressing screen and does what he says. And when she comes out from behind the screen, she notices that the shadow behind him is like different. It's like big and bulky. Because he's just a normal dude. Just a doctor. Handsome doctor. She sees him holding a long black corded object with a round metal head and he tells her to get on her hands and knees on the sofa facing away from him. She does and she can see his gigantic shadow completely cover her. So there's something going on with Dr. Underwood. Yeah, I was like, what is happening? He asks if she's comfortable and she says that she is. My eyes widened as his hand dipped between my legs, grazing over my opening before circling forward to swirl over my little button that I like to play with so much. Oh, my head dropped and I could see down the length of me, between my breasts to where his fingers were just peeking between my lower lips, rubbing and sliding. I wanted to tell him to stay there, the way men never seem to do, not for long enough. I rolled my hips to grind against those fingers, determined to get as much from the touch as I could. But he drew away and I had to bite my lips to keep from complaining. Her little button that she loves to play with. She does. She plays with her little button a lot. (laughs) He tells her to keep her back arched and she feels the cold metal press against her clit. And then she squeals as it turns on and starts vibrating. So it's just a vibrator, but it's an old timey vibrator because we're in like the, what would you say, like the late 1800s, early 1900s? Yeah. Okay. It sounds like he's like the inventor of the vibrator. The original Hitachi. (laughs) She squeals as it turns on and starts vibrating and he pulls it away and she tells him to put it back. So he does. (laughs) She comes twice as he keeps it pressed to her and he tells her she's exactly as he expected. A whore. (laughs) She asks him not to stop and he says he hadn't planned to. He says there's more he wants to do tonight and she notes that his voice sounds different now. It's no longer sweet, but it's like full of grit and kind of aggressive. He presses a finger into her and then another before putting the vibrator back on her and she begs for his cock. He snarls that she'll have it soon, and then she comes again. She hears him undressing and grabs her hips, pulling them into the air, and shoves himself into her. And she turns to look back at him, but he tells her not to, and she notices that his whole body seems to feel bigger than it did before, and his hands have calluses that she hadn't noticed. There was a low growl from behind, something more animal than man, and then he pulled almost entirely out of me again. He didn't slam this time. He couldn't. Suddenly, he barely fit. I made a small aching sound as his cock stretched me wide. I looked up from the cushion of the chase and against the wall. A shadow loomed, so tall it reached the high ceiling and then bent around the corner. The shape was broader than before, shoulders hulking and hair sticking out wildly. Hot thighs hit the back of my legs, and even still, I was being stretched inside, slow with pulses like a heartbeat. Dr. Underwood was grunting behind me, sounding near to pain. What is he, a little werewolf? <laughs> she calls out his name and he says, Dr. Underwood isn't here right now. Dr. Underwood. He's not here right now. <laughs> no. That would be terrifying. <laughs> As he's just like inside you. <laughs> he says that she can call him Mr. Tanner or Sir. And he continues to fuck her and she says, yes, sir. He tells her she's a good girl and says she can shout if she needs to. So she screams as she comes again. And he says, that's it, little girl. Squeal for me. Ew. <laughs> Squeal. It reminds me of, fuck, what's that old movie where they're like in the backwoods of like Appalachia where they're like, squeal, little piggy, where it's like, you know the movie? No, no, I need more than that, though. 
I was like, I need more than that. (laughs) Yeah. I accidentally watched it when I was really little, when I was up late at night, and there was, like, nothing on cable, and I was, like, a little bit traumatized, so I guess it's, like, a very adult movie. I need to know what it is now. Deliverance. That's the one. I've never seen this movie. Oh. He quickly flips her, so she's sitting on his lap facing away from him, and he tells her to bounce, so she does. She looks down and sees rust-red skin covered in white scars, and Dr. Underwood's pants are shredded and ripped on his thighs. Mr. Tanner grabs the vibrator again and tells her she needs to come one more time, and then he'll fill her up. She grabs the vibrator from him and starts to use it on herself. That's like seven orgasms in one sitting. Are you okay? You need to do it one more time. And then, <laughs> and then I will we can fill be done. you up. <laughs> With this hot milk. Mm. <laughs> milky, milky. <laughs> I could feel myself soaking his cock, making the ride slippery. <laughs> Whoa. A little slip and slide. I'm in a hydroplane. <laughs> <laughs> And with the buzz of the machine, I worked on to him with new fervor. Yeah. You're learning a new word every week. This is educational. (laughs) (laughs) My eyes slammed shut at the overwhelming stretch, the stinging heat stirring in my clit. A crack sounded in the room as a meaty hand landed playfully on my ass. A big meaty hand. (laughs) The same bright burn between my legs echoed around my hips with his slap. Yes, sir, I said. I'd been spanked before, but not like this. Not when I was so close to an edge. I clutched around him and heard his grunt. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He tells her she's a naughty girl and says she'll fit right in at the manor. He grabs her hips and starts bouncing her up and down on his dick until she comes, seeing stars. And when she comes down from her orgasm, there's a sticky wetness running down her thighs and the man behind her is no longer the gigantic Mr. Tanner. She asks him if all the men are like him at the manor and he says not exactly, but people do call them monsters. She says she doesn't think Mr. Tanner is a monster. He seemed sweet. And then he laughs and says that she won't mind the manor very much then. He does not seem sweet. No. But she's like, he seemed great. I liked him. He literally was like, Dr. Underwood isn't here anymore. (laughs) Squeal for me. Little piggy. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't say that, but. (laughs) It was implied. She says that she thinks she'll like the manor very much. And then she leans in and kisses him, excited to start her new job. Some time passes and she gets to Rook's grave manor to begin working rook's grave manor was the finest house i had ever seen with brick such a dark gray it was almost black and glossy bay windows shrouded in opaque curtains there were round turrets sprouting out of the roof and it was deep and wide on the property a lock surrounded the back of the house the sun setting yellow on the water so it seems very nice it seems kind of spooky. Yeah. It is a little spooky. She's dropped off in a carriage and is greeted at the front door by a butler who is a golem named Booker. So a golem is just like a man made out of marble. Like a statue man. Are those the ones that sit on the thing? And- That's a gargoyle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but kinda. As Booker walks away to bring her luggage to her room, she can't help but check out his ass. God, this girl. <laughs> she meets Magdalena Mortimer, the madam of the manor, and she's a beautiful beautiful older woman with unnatural eyes. She's also a witch. They show her to the office and Magdalena asks Esther if she likes sex and Esther says she loves it and Magda says, good. She'll be wonderfully spoiled here as long as she cares for the gentlemen who come to her. Esther asks if Dr. Underwood will be one of those men and Magda says if she wants him to be and Esther giggles and says, yes, she does. Yeah. Magda has Booker get them some tea and she lays out the ground rules. No man or woman in this house will touch you without your permission and you're expected to extend the same courtesy. Some of our gentlemen can be territorial, 
We find it works best when a girl has her particular group of gentlemen she enjoys company with rather than everyone wandering about as they please. This suits the girls and keeps them from being overworked and keeps the gentlemen's tempers in line. How many men you see will be up to you, but I ask that you take their own happiness and peace of mind into consideration. Your room and board are covered. They won't be taken out of your wages. And while I'm sure you will receive a number of gifts from your gentlemen, I do have a seamstress who will fit you with a few gowns just in case. That's also covered. More delicately and at your choice, we can ensure that you don't become unexpectedly with child during your stay. So Magda yeah. uses her like witchy powers to do some birth control. Yeah. Okay. So it seems like a pretty good gig. She's basically just a sex worker. Yeah, she's an escort. Okay. Magda tells her there's a wait list of men wanting to be members of Rooksgrave Manor, and now that she's met Esther, she will pick out the best fits and have her meet them soon. She also tells Esther that there's a village nearby that she can visit, but asks that she be discreet when she goes there. So don't go there and be like, I work at Rooksgrave Manor and I fuck monsters. Fair. Because it's a human village. Esther signs her employment paper and is now official. She's left alone with Booker, and when she tries to ask him about the manor, he tells her that he's new, and she realizes he was just created and doesn't know much, so he speaks in, like, one-word sentences. New. And then she tells him that they'll learn together. Booker brings her to her room, and it's magnificent with a four-poster bed and an ensuite bathroom and a sitting room. Booker leaves her to unpack, and she looks out the window to see a wolf in the shadows outside approaching a woman. She's about to yell to the woman to warn her when she realizes that it's a werewolf and the woman is undressing for him. She watches as the wolf turns into a man and starts to fuck the woman in the grass, and she's getting incredibly turned on watching them and wonders if she'll have a werewolf too. She rushes to her bed and begins to hump her pillow, but even as she finishes, it does nothing to relieve her sexual frustration, and the next morning she wakes up and walks to where she saw the woman and the werewolf and lays down on a bench that's out there, and she starts to doze off when she hears someone saying her name with a thick, exotic accent. She opens her eyes and sees who was calling her. Also, falling asleep outside on a bench, like, that's ballsy. Yeah. So she humps her pillow. She just can't control it that much. (laughs) Yeah, she's ruled by her sexual desires. Honestly. (laughs) He had a man's face, the most beautiful one I'd ever seen, with skin like baked earth and thick, dark eyebrows and a mane of glossy black hair. But his eyebrows continued up into a feline brow, softly furred, and his long neck led down to wide shoulders covered with more golden brown fur. Those shoulders extended to a chest that was not a man's, and long arms stretched down to the sand below, ending with huge furred paws and glimmering black claws. Behind him, unfurled wings, feathers glittering in the shades of black and gold, rust and copper. Oh, he is a creation. Sure is. He shifts into his more human form, but he still looks slightly feline, and he tells her that his name is Amon and says that he's a sphinx. He tells her that she's still asleep and he came to her in a dream. He'll come to her for real in a day or so. He leans in and kisses her. And then he says that there are others that will arrive before him and asks if she'd like a little relief now. And she says, yes, please. Of course she does. Then he starts to disappear and says he has to go now. There's been an interruption. So she wakes up extremely frustrated to someone saying, miss. And she sees a tall man who says his name is Jacob Coombs. He says he saw her moaning and wanted to make sure she was okay. And then he starts to get aggressive. And she's not interested because he's very clearly human. And now her tastes are different. She doesn't want a human man. I mean, who would after that? You know, you've had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and a Sphinx. Yeah. And now some plebeians coming up to you. (laughs) Gross. Disgusted. He starts to grab her when Booker intervenes and leads her back to the manor. So he's like, come on, just give me a chance. Give me a chance. 
Let me fuck ya. No means no, sir. She then gets an idea and asks Booker if he can feel, and Booker says that he can. So she decides to ask Magda if it's allowed for her to play with Booker. <laughs> She's like, Fair. you know what? I'm real horny. Can I fuck this guy? He's gone. Can I fuck him? Can I fuck this marble statue? Back at the manor, she tells Magda what happened with the man. And Magda says that she sent Booker out after her when she felt the man step onto the property. He's apparently a nuisance. And she tells Esther that a man named August will be coming to meet her tomorrow. So Magda has these wards up since she's a witch. And she can feel it when someone like crosses through the wards. Okay. She also meets a couple of the other women who tell her about their men. And a girl named Cassie has a vampire and says that he's wonderful. August is a vampire, so the girls tell her to eat sweet fruits to make herself taste better for him. The next morning, she receives a gift from Dr. Underwood, and it's a sheer rouge-colored dress, and Magda tells her that the doctor probably picked it out for her meeting with August because they're friends. Uh-huh. Magda also tells her that sleeping with Booker isn't against the rules, and they're free to do whatever they like. That night, she meets August for the first time in the kitchens, and he's cooking her, like, this elaborate dessert banquet. Yeah. Oh, what a gentleman. He had dark hair swooped back from his face and skin as pale as the finest ladies, but his features were strong and wide and there was black stubble across his jaw. His eyes and ice blue, almost white, but for the edges, landed on me at once. He sounds sassy. Sassy boy. He hand feeds her chocolates and pomegranate as they get to know each other and then all of a sudden she asks if they're going to fuck in the kitchen or if they should go to her room. (laughs) This pussy is hungry. (laughs) He leans in and kisses her and they start making out and he bites her lip, drinking some of her blood and says they should go upstairs. And then they make out all the way back up to her room and it says that they like almost fuck in the hallway. Yeah. Like, she cannot wait. I think she's a sex addict. He lays her on the bed and gets on top of her, and he begins to suck her nipple before biting it and drinking some more of her blood. And she's hella soaked. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. He undresses and tells her to roll over on her stomach and take her arms out of the dress. So he slips the dress off of her and starts kissing and touching her everywhere but where she needs it. So she starts to beg him. His right hand slid suddenly under me, rubbing over my swollen flesh and catching at the fluid that pooled beneath me. The pair of us moaning. You're soaking the bed, August growled out. (laughs) August hissed, pressing a finger up inside me. We both heard the wet slide of the touch and I immediately began to move myself on his hand, taking advantage of every second he let me when he pushed another finger in i sobbed in relief finally finally <laughs> she just <laughs> yes! <laughs> i knew what was coming but i was too focused on his fingers fucking into me to worry about the approaching bite the telltale bright tingle of pleasure was building inside of me my lips falling open and small aching cries spilling out. When he pulled his hand free and sank his fangs into my vein, I cursed and thrashed. August snatched my flying hands, keeping them tight in his grip. My body bowed back so he could drink and hold me still all at once. (gasps) Whoa! You can just look at this girl and she starts coming. I know, she's like, oh wait, fuck. He flips her over and throws her legs over his shoulder and she tells him, no more teasing. My sigh was watery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's pneumonia, girl. Yeah, are you, <laughs> you okay? should get that checked out. They haven't invented x-rays yet, though, so. <laughs> right. My sigh was watery as August finally took pity on me, his fingers pushing in again, slow but steady. His mouth landed on my clit, tongue flicking out and swirling with a clear purpose. 
I didn't release my grip on his hair. I wasn't giving him an opportunity to deny me again. I needed to come. Oh, fuck, August. I came, and there was a burst of wet heat, but it was me soaking August's hands and lips. I felt a scratch against the lips of my sex, and then August was nuzzling at the crease of my hip for a beat. His fangs weren't painful this time, not as they had been before. Now that sudden jolting stab was one of ecstasy, and I gripped the back of his neck tight. Every draw of blood seemed to be another echo of my orgasm, and I gasped with each mouthful he took, shuddering on the bed until he was sated and his fingers inside me were still. Sweet girl, August said, but there was something dark in his tone. He sat up and I could see him staring at me, at the mess I made. He drew his fingers out of me and brought them to his mouth, sucking them clean. Does that feed you too? I asked, surprised. August grinned at me. It feeds my ego, he said, petting at my wet flesh. He asks her if she's satisfied. She says no. She's not satisfied. How? I don't know. (laughs) The horniest rat we've ever met, I'm telling you. His cock stood proudly, and I was fairly sure that all the blood I'd given him thus far had headed straight in that direction. He was longer than most and beautifully girthy, and I couldn't wait to feel him inside of me. That was wonderful, and now I want more. Esther, he started, and then his mouth dropped open as I took him in my hand and settled myself over him, pressing his stiff length to where I was dripping from release. I slid against him, coating him in my own fluid. As soon as he was coated enough to slip against me, I released one of August's hands to line myself above him and sink down onto his cock. Our mouths both fell loose with chorused moans as he filled me, my body welcoming him gladly. Oh my god, and they're back at it. He tells her it's been a long time since he's had sex. And she asks if he can last. He says he'll last as long as she needs him to. And then she starts to ride him and he starts touching her clit, making her come. He asks if she wants more and she says she does. A fucking course she does. Honestly, stop asking her. Just do it. You already know. August shifts them so he can take over the movement and she bites him hard on the lip. She commands him to bite her neck and he gladly does. They both come together, but she doesn't feel anything inside her. So there's no semen. He just like, Pah. Oh, okay. He's an old vampire. He's got nothing left. There's nothing in that. She asks how long he's staying, and he says a few days, but he'll be sleeping beneath the manor during the day. So I guess there's like a tomb under there for him. He says they have a few hours of nighttime left, and they can rest together, and she tells him to wake her up in an hour with his head between her thighs. Okay. (laughs) Three days pass, and it's almost time for August to leave, and she's really bummed, but he promises to come back and says he'll take her to London for a trip soon. As they're outside talking, she sees a flicker of light from her bedroom window, and she tells August... And he says he'll go with her to check it out. On their way up, she sees Booker and asks him if it was him in there, and he shakes his head no. So there's an intruder in her room. Okay, The three of them check out the room, but it's empty. August says there was someone here because it smells like campfire. What does that mean? Booker agrees to stay with Esther to make sure she's safe and tells August that she wants to try and fuck Booker. And August says that he doesn't mind and would like to watch, but for tonight, she's all his. A couple days later, August is gone and she's outside with Booker and she's thinking about how she should start seducing him when Magda interrupts him. Because, like, that's all she thinks about. Yeah, honestly, she just has dick on the brain constantly. She really does. I mean, she's in the right line of business then. Oh, Truly. yeah. This job was made for her. It was. Magda tells her it'll still be a couple of days until her next gentleman arrives and says she needs to borrow Booker for about an hour. So Esther goes up to her room and she goes to lay down on her bed, but lands on like an invisible man. No, that is <laughs> scary. He throws his hand over her mouth and tells her not to scream. He flips her over and pins her down and he says his name is Ezra. And he'd been watching her watch the werewolf and the woman from the first night. Huh. And then he decides 
decided that he wanted to try and become a member, but the fees were too high, so he couldn't afford it. So he decided to sneak into the manor because he's invisible. And Magda couldn't sense him? No. There's something going on with her little wards. Mm. She's getting kind of aroused when he talks about watching her, and she asks if he's a ghost, and he says no. He asked a witch to make him discreet, and so she made him invisible. So it was like the old monkey's paw situation. And he says he was meant to be here and asks for a night to prove it. She says yes. Doesn't she? She says, Booker will be back in an hour, and he says he'll just need the hour then. I can come quick. (laughs) He starts to make out with her, and she pulls his invisible shirt off, and when it comes off, it becomes visible again. He tells her that's how the magic works, and then he shoves his invisible fingers into her mouth, and she feels them go into her vagina afterwards. But she can't see any of this. No. No. How would you guys feel about this? Um, this particular man is my favorite man. <gasps> okay. Oh. I love this man. I don't know. Just something about not being able to see him, but then like feeling fingers just go inside you. Sounds jarring. She likes to be jarred. That's true. Esther loves it. She's having a great time. Considering our hips were already pressed roughly together, all he really did was grind against my clit in a way that made my eyes flutter shut again. I whined against his hand and he pulled it away, twin grips taking my hips and lifting them from the bed until he was kneeling with my ass on his lap and his cock rubbing deliciously in inside me. Oh, Ezra, I breathed out, peeking again to see myself stretched and poised, the wet lips of my sex shining and stretching absurdly. Was it odd that I wished there was a mirror in front of me? I threw my dress down over the edge of the bed, riding his lap a little and sighing at the friction and stretch. Sighing? She's like, (laughs) 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 The slightest burn. He was thick. This invisible, cocky new friend of mine. Thicker than August, but not quite as long. (sighs) Thick little dicky. She starts playing with her nipples as he fucks her. Well, aren't you the prettiest picture? Ezra hummed, low and nearly a growl and I held my breath as he drew slowly out of me, already anticipating the slap! Oh! <laughs> quiet. Poosin? What is that fucking word? Poosin? I think so. He's Irish and it means kitty cat, I guess, is what he says. Quiet. Poosin? <laughs> As- <laughs> Ezra said with a laugh, my cunt throbbing with the sudden slam of him inside of me, suckling at his length as he pulled languidly out again. I was better prepared the next time as Ezra drove forcefully in, our skin smacking together wetly from my arousal, my body jumping and trembling at the impact. You'll hurt your sweet little cherry tips if you're not careful. What? Because <laughs> she's playing with her nipples. Oh, I'm like, what the fuck are cherry tips? Her little I nippies. don't like that. <laughs> She tells him to go faster, so he does. He picked up his pace, hitching me a little higher on his hips so that the head of his cock dragged beautifully inside me, stroking over and over again at my front walls. My legs trembled even as I tightened them around his hips, giggling at the sight of them curling in the air. Harder, faster, more. I wasn't sure if I was crying the words out or only thinking them, urging Ezra on with the twist and kick of my own hips. What a pretty pussy, Ezra hissed, his fucking almost brutal. Oh my god. (laughs) She tells him that next time she wants a mirror to watch herself. She wants him to sneak up on her and take her without saying a word, and he tells her that she's a naughty little thing. I'll wake you from a sleep like this, shall I? Yes with my mouth on your pretty little pussy and your hands bound to the bed so there's nothing you can do to stop me. I'll catch you alone in the bath and finger you beneath all your bubbles, Ezra said, chuckling, but his voice was strained and his fucking was growing frantic. 
take another walk alone and I'll bend you over that bench and fuck you with your ass in the air for anyone to see. Ezra gritted out in my ear. I started to shake as the whirlwind grew spiky and oppressive, swallowing me up in the dizzy ache. Maybe I'll even fuck that ass. (laughs) Fuck that ass. Fuck that ass. Suddenly Magda is knocking on the door saying that she has a surprise for her. Ezra comes in her and she gets up, opens the door, and sees Magda, Booker, and Eamon, the Sphinx. Oh, he's not supposed to be there yet. Eamon can see Ezra somehow and demands to know who he is. Magda isn't happy, but ultimately says this isn't her fault. She does ask her to apologize to Eamon, though, for not taking his feelings into consideration. And Eamon is super pissed. Why is he mad? Because they know about Ezra? Yeah, because he can see him. Oh! And he didn't pay his membership fees, so he's not even a member. And she did say, I guess, in the beginning to, like, take their feelings into consideration. Yeah. Yeah, That's fair. And Esther tries to plead Ezra's case, saying that he wanted a membership, but it was too expensive. But Magda says that's irrelevant. Magda tells her to wash up and meet back in her office to talk to the men. So she takes Ezra and Eamon back to her office and is like, we're going to have a little chat. Well, chitty chat. She bathes as Booker supervises, and when she's done, he dries her off with a towel, and she gets really into it, but Booker just tells her to get dressed. She goes to Magda's office where Eamon and Ezra are waiting for her, and she apologizes to Eamon for how walking in on them must have felt, but says she doesn't regret what she did. Magda says that she'll look back into Ezra's membership, but says that he's to stay off the property in the meantime, and Esther is to spend time with Eamon. Booker, Magda, and Ezra leave, and Esther and Eamon are alone in the office. Eamon asks her why she'd waste her time on a scoundrel like Ezra when he's here to treat her like a queen. Because I'm not a queen. I'm just a girl who loves fucking. He says he's going to leave tonight and come back tomorrow so they can have a fresh start. Magda comes back in and says that she needs to assess the wards around the manor. They seem to be fraying if Ezra was able to get in undetected. And then Esther goes up to her room for the night. The next morning, she meets up with Eamon wearing a very revealing Egyptian-style dress that he'd sent for her. She meets Eamon in the room he's picked out for them to have breakfast, and he tells her that she looks exquisite. He pulls her to sit on his lap facing him and apologizes for his temper the previous day, and then she starts dry-humping him. Oh. Can't help herself. Both of his hands were on my ass now, rolling me into him, my sex already wet and soaking through the thin fabric. Hella soaked, bitch. She's like permanently hella soaked. I think so. She just missed to be like damp down there at all times. Have you ever been dry, Esther? No. No, she has not. He picks her up and sets her on the table, telling her to lean back. I moaned, eyes falling shut, as Eamon kissed me through the fabric of the dress. He moved the beading to cover my sex, flattening his tongue and rubbing it over my pussy, spreading my arousal over my skin until I was slippery. My hips bucked towards him, and Eamon's hands braced them flat to the table again, gripped firm and commanding. Eamon... He says that he's going to earn her forgiveness and asks her if she wants to come, and she says always. Yeah, I do. He says then he's going to punish her with denial and begins to lick her slowly, and all she wants is an orgasm. He uses his magic to make golden cuffs appear on her ankles and wrists, restraining her to the table. My cunt was weeping, sucking on nothing, throbbing and so close to orgasm. I wondered if Eamon didn't have some other kind of magic to keep from pushing me over the edge. Please, I mouth, my gaze flying around the room, unable to focus. Please, Eamon. The words were useless. I'd repeated them so many times. My lips were chapped. Eamon's fingers trailed up and down the center of my chest. He hadn't touched my pussy in ages, but every single touch made me grow wet. 
clench as if he'd never stop petting and licking me there. So he's kind of just like toying with her. Yeah. Yeah. He's punishing her. Bad girl. (laughs) She's naked and sweaty at this point, and it's been hours of this torture. Hours? Yeah. That's insane. She starts to cry, and he tells her that she's right. She's had enough torture. He growled, cutting me off with the soft press of a blunt cock at my entrance. My voice evaporated in one desperate gasp, and then he was pushing in. I came with the briefest brush against my clit, my shout delirious and relieved, pain and pleasured all at once. I was swollen from being toyed with for so long, fingered and licked and then ignored as I ached, and Eamon seemed especially full inside me. Oh my god, Eamon! He releases her bindings and she wraps her legs around his hips, and then he tells her that she's forgiven now. Oh Christ, I shouted as something thick and hard struck against my inner walls with the next retreat of Eamon's cock. I leaned back and watched him pull out, staring at his dark cock, the base surrounded by black curls. He drew back, and before he was fully out, I felt again, something hooking roughly, like three fingers catching me from inside. I whined at the sensation, not painful, but, oh, Eamon, what? My hook to hold us together. (laughs) What? They are unique amongst my kind. I let out a little scream, eyes squeezing shut as it caught me again. Eamon hitched me closer around his hips. With the next withdrawal, it hit a new place that made lightning strike inside of me. I came again with a great cry of Eamon's name, the pleasure so intense. I tried to tear myself away, but his cock held us together and Eamon began to fuck me with an intentional angle to his thrust forcing his hook to hit the same mark over and over again. Oh. He tells her that he wouldn't let her come before, but now he's not going to let her stop. (gasps) Ow. You've been edged for two hours and then he's just going to keep making come over and over and over again? Yeah, that sounds painful. When they're done, he takes care of her, feeding her, bathing her, and massaging her. And she tells him that she loved his hook. Love that hook. They're talking the next day and he tells her that he wants to move closer to the manor to be near her and she reminds him that there are other men she'll be seeing and he tells her that Dr. Underwood and August are both good men. She asks, what about Booker? And he says, the servant. He's like, oh, I would never. Sleep with that lowly peasant? Marble man? (laughs) He reluctantly says he's fine with it as long as he doesn't hurt her since he's made of marble. And then she mentions Ezra and he cuts her off saying Ezra is a scoundrel who can't provide for her and she gets angry saying she doesn't need money or gifts. He apologizes to her and says he'll let Magda and Ezra sort out his membership and then they'll see what happens. He leaves the next day and Esther gossips about the fancy male anatomy with the other girls. A woman named Mary seems grossed out, but asks if she wants to go to the village with her. So she's like, ew, that sounds disgusting. (laughs) Do you want to go shopping with me? I need a new hat. (laughs) Esther agrees, but thinks to herself that there's something off with this girl. And as they're walking together, Mary is telling her how disgusting she finds all of her men. She says she's waiting to save enough money so she can get out of this place. And when they get to the village, Mary is very clearly flirting with the shopkeepers and Esther doesn't understand because they're just humans. Why would you want a stupid? human. Yeah, why? When you could have a nice, caring monster. Yeah. I would want that. Yeah. Later that night, she's hanging with Booker while the other girls have this sex party that Esther wasn't invited to. Poor Esther. She sees Magda roaming the halls, seeming a little bit off, and looks like she's looking for something. And she asks if Magda's wards are failing again, and Magda says she doesn't know. She goes back to her room and undresses to sleep, and she feels like someone is watching her. So she starts to play with her nipples and calls Ezra's name, but no one answers. The next morning, Booker gets her dressed, so he's buttoning her dress up. He grabs her by the throat and starts 
starts to finger her. Booker. Booker. Marble man. He's like, I heard you wanted to fucking try this marble. <laughs> One side of his mouth curled up and then the two fingers were pushing up inside me, still cool and so thick and hard. It was as good as a cock, except no cock felt chilly and dense like this, so shocking in my core. I cried out, trying to rise to my toes and then whined when I realized I couldn't. Booker held me right in place with nowhere to go as his fingers began to fuck me smoothly, a comfortable pace, fast enough to know he wasn't just teasing me, but not so much to overwhelm me. He wanted me to feel him rubbing, fingertips taking gentle care to curl and stroke every sensitive private inch. <sighs> Booker, you dirty little marble. I don't know if I would want something chilly up there. Maybe on a hot day. <laughs> yeah. Nice, yeah. A nice cool marble finger in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Nothing better. <laughs> he says every morning he's going to do this and she comes. <laughs> Booker grunted, eyes on mine, a smile growing slowly as he continued to work me determinedly on his fingers until I was sure my release was dripping down his wrist. One contrasting spiral of pleasure settled directly over the first, and Booker drove me to another quick finish, my cry more ragged and my eyes slamming shut. His touch stroked up, giving my cunt something to clasp and tremble around, still cool and so solid, then sensation could only echo back into me. Booker caught me as I sagged into his chest, releasing my throat and wrapping that arm around my waist. His other hand pulled free of my sensitive sex with a wet sucking sound. He drew it out from under my skirt and lifted it to the sunlight. Studying the coat of slick on his digits, my mouth fell open and I leaned back to watch as he raised the middle finger to his lips with the clink of stone on stone and then sucked it clean with a low rumble of approval. Clink! She says she'd like to fuck now, but he says no, Magda needs her in her office. When she gets to Magda's office, she's pacing with dark circles around her eyes, and Magda tells Esther there's a man passing through who'd like one night with her. <gasps> she can say no if she wants, and this man won't be a permanent member, and Magda tells her that this is a water demon. Oh, water demon. Yeah. Esther feels uneasy about this, but says okay. Later that day, Booker escorts Esther down to the grotto, and Booker says he'll wait for her by the steps and Esther wades through the water into the creepy, dimly lit cavern. She feels frightened but searches for the mysterious man and she calls out and introduces herself and then she hears a voice telling her to come deeper into the grotto. She sees a handsome blue man floating in the water and she approaches him. He tells her the water wants to hold her and he makes it move, stroking up her thigh. Oh. She moans as it grazes her vagina. Oh my god. He tells her to come deeper again, so she does, and now she's up to her shoulders. I stepped forward, legs trembling, and the water tugged me along, floating me down one step and then another, until I was up to my shoulders, water cupping and stroking my breasts and my arms, sucking on my fingers and kissing my palms. I wasn't being fucked, but I'd never been touched in so many places all at once. Surrounded with the intent of pleasure before, oh god, I breathed out, eyes opening again, as I was stroked at the tender, tight entrance of my ass. So you need to shove the water up her asshole. <laughs> Anima. Get it cleaned out, girl. People pay good money for that. They do. True. She notices the demon doesn't look any closer than he did before, and he tells her to come closer and join him. She tries to raise her arms, but the water is still holding her, and she tells him that she can't swim. The water picks her up and carries her further into the grotto, but she still isn't any closer to the man. And she yells, wait, as the water fills her mouth, and she starts to choke. 
She tries to call for Booker, but she can't, and something grabs her by the ankle. The water's being rough now and is prodding her in an aggressive way. The voice says, he'll make good use of you. Come deeper. I'll take you to him. And then everything goes black and her ankle snaps. Oh my god. She feels a body against hers, and when she comes to, she hears Ezra's voice. She wakes up in a bed surrounded by Ezra, Dr. Underwood, slash Mr. Tanner, and August. August tells her he's paid for Ezra's membership for rescuing her from the water wraith. So it wasn't a water demon, it was a water wraith. What's a water wraith? It's like a- Bad guy? Yeah. (laughs) They're bad, but they're like kind of ghosts. Like they do other people's bidding like golems, but they're like evil. That is so scary. Yeah. Yeah. She sees Booker upset in the corner and he tells her that he can't swim. So he tried to rescue her, but he's made of marble. (laughs) (laughs) I know, poor Booker. (laughs) He's like, I tried. (laughs) He just automatically sinks. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry. Ezra was on his way to talk to Magda about his membership when he saw her and Booker walking down to the grotto. So he followed them she goes to booker to find him soaked and gives him a hug and a kiss so he's like wet but he just couldn't poor guy he did his best he really he's just trying magda comes in and apologizes profusely she said there was a crack in the ward that let the wraith in and says she was tricked she'd never put esther in harm's way on purpose and then Eamon bursts into the room yelling at magda saying that she has no care for their property <gasps> okay Eamon, she didn't know Esther screams at him that she's not property and tells everyone to sit down and shut up. Yeah, honestly. They discuss what happened and Magda says the Wraith must be working for someone powerful to have gotten the slip on her. She'd asked two other women before Esther to meet the man, so they don't think that Esther is the particular target. Okay. So it could have been anyone. Yeah. Magda tells Ezra that she'll see if she can make his invisibility more voluntary if he agrees to watch over the manor, and he gladly says yes. Esther asks to speak with Eamon privately in another room, and she tells him that he needs to accept that she has other gentlemen and that she is his lover, not his possession. He says she is his lover, and she agrees to work with him, and then he says he'll leave for now to give her time with the others and return when she comes back from her trip to London with Dr. Underwood in August. She goes to the bathroom with Ezra where he plans on bathing her. And then Ezra gets into the bath with her and she can see the outline of his body and she notices that he's like big and beefy. Oh, big beefy boy. Beep, beep, beep. (laughs) (laughs) She tries to touch his cock and balls, but he says no. Why? He's like, bitch, you almost died. Calm down. He's like, you need to rest. He washes her body and helps her get out of the tub. And when she gets back to the room, August has a meal laid out for her. There's some bloody meat and he says she'll need the extra iron for their time together oh that's that's a little scary that is very fucking scary. i'd be like mm. it's just raw beef He's like, I need the extra iron in your blood, baby. They all eat and she falls asleep between August and Ezra. And when she wakes up in the morning, she's in bed with just Dr. Underwood. So he checks her ankle. It's just sprained. It didn't break. Oh, thank goodness. And it seems to be on the mend. And he tells her that Booker is on his way with breakfast. She tries to seduce Dr. Underwood, but he says no. They need to wait until London because she still needs rest from the day before. He tells her a little bit about Mr. Tanner and how he started out as a voice inside of his head that inspired him to study psychology. So it kind of seemed like everyone thought he was schizophrenic as a child because there was like someone talking to him in his head. Oh. Mr. Tanner is more violent than Dr. Underwood. So Dr. Underwood tried experiments to get rid of him, but they didn't 
didn't work. They eventually formed a friendship and came to an understanding. And then Esther tells him she'd like to fuck them both at the same time. Because Mr. Tanner has control when he has control. And then Dr. Underwood has control when he has control. But she's yeah, like, right. I'd like it if you both had control. But how would that even Can we do this? work? The next day, they're in London. And Dr. Underwood tells her that they're going to a very special theater that night, but won't elaborate, saying he wants her to be surprised. He tells her if she behaves, then he and Mr. Tanner will reward her when they get back. She spends the day at a dress shop where August has picked out a super fancy revealing dress for the theater. And she gets back to the house and does her hair and makeup. And August says she looks amazing and then gifts her a sapphire bracelet. He says there's a matching necklace, but he doesn't want her neck obstructed. So he doesn't give it to her. Yeah. He's like, I want to bite it later. So that's fair. They go to dinner and then they're off to the theater. It's in a dark, sketchy alley and they walk and then suddenly they're in a beautiful theater and the marquee says tantalizing nightmares. Oh. The theater's packed and she starts to get nervous that the person who sent the wraith might be here. They take their seats and Esther is between Dr. Underwood and August and the show starts and a human woman runs out into the spotlight in a torn nightgown and then a werebear comes out chasing her. A werebear? <laughs> yeah. Between the hips, rising slowly, long and angrily, red and shining, was its cock. The girl let out a wail of terror and began to run, darting left, but it was obvious at once how futile her effort was. That werebear is going to get her. They're kind of scary. Yeah, I'm not into the werebear. That sounds terrifying. The werebear chases the woman around for a bit before a second one appears, and then a stone altar appears and they cuff her to it and she immediately falls asleep. What will they do? I whispered. What would you like them to? He answered lowly, lips curved in a smile. If it were me, I stared at their bodies, enormous and animal and strange, and at their cocks, which were thick, but probably not quite as much as Mr. Tanner's. I opened my mouth to answer everything, but then the werebears moved, massive mouths opening as if they were about to devour her, which they did, in a sense. The woman whimpered as the werebears pressed their paws into the stone and began to lick at her skin, one clawed at the collar of her flimsy dress, tearing it open to reveal her breasts, and my breath hiccuped in my chest as a great, damp, black nose nuzzled her skin. She moaned and twisted in sleep, but it was difficult to tell if it was fear or arousal. August starts playing with Esther's boobs under her dress. <laughs> On stage, the girl was waking, moans and whimpers frequent as the werebears licked and nibbled her as a feast. One was burrowing and exploring its way up between her thighs, and I let out a small cry of sympathy as August nipped my throat, and the creature found her center, licking enthusiastically. Hmm, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> she asks if they'll get in trouble for getting frisky in the audience, and the men laugh and say no. She says then someone better get her out of this dress and fuck her, but they tell her to at least wait for act two. Yeah, yeah. don't be rude. God. I pressed my lips together, wanting to argue, but forgetting what I would say as the werebear at the woman's head finally found his cock's way into her mouth, muffling her cry of pleasure. He was at her side, arched slightly over her, but not enough to block the audience's view. Feeding her the tip, she mewled loudly, squirming and suckling, and I licked my lips as I watched. 
The lights were dimming on the stage as the girl cried around her werebear's cock again, the second one still burrowing and licking her core. An appreciative clap rose up from the audience and the shadow of the stone platform lowered. What are they doing? Esther's annoyed that they didn't even fuck the woman properly, but August says they'll be back. That was just an appetizer. The next act begins and there are five humans in a V formation. So the werebears were just like the opening act and then this is like, Act one. Uh-huh. Okay. Four had their bodies trapped by the neck and wrists in dark stockades. The two in the middle were bent forward with asses high and entirely naked. A woman on the right and a man on the left. The two at the front of the stage were kneeling, pinned to the floor. Foreheads resting on velvet pillows this time, with the man on the right and the woman on the left. The fifth at the center was a woman shackled by her wrists and chains held high above her head. Then a demon walks out on stage. A diamond. A diamond. Skin the color of coal with vast shimmering black wings like a bat spreading out from his back. He had dark curling horns and eyes that glowed with fire. He was nude, ripped with muscle, and his cock was knobbly and tapered, exceptionally thick at the base. Knobbly. 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 <laughs> Knoblets got knobs. <laughs> <laughs> he leans down in front of one of the chained girls who wraps her legs around his shoulders and then he starts eating her out. Mm. A man who looks like Booker but made of clay comes out as the demon gets up and walks away and the clay man starts to paddle the woman's ass. Paddle it? Yeah. Bah, with a paddle. Bah, 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 bah. The demon walks over to another woman and thrusts right into her. August peels Esther's dress off and kneels in front of her, and she starts to palm Dr. Underwood through his pants as he unbuttons them. <gasps> oh my goodness. Then a scaly monster appears and takes the place of the clay man who moves down the line and is now spanking one of the men. August begins to feed from Esther's breast as she begs Dr. Underwood to touch her, but he tells her to wait. The scaled man was kneeling behind the woman in chains, cock waving in the air as he feasted on her ass. The woman with the demon was waiting with pleasure, his hands now bracing the stockade to keep her in place for his fucking. And the man being spanked was crying out a thank you, sir, with every crack of the paddle. More shadows waited in the wings to fill the stage with debauchery and cries of delight. August had promised me this would be long, and he was right. There was no way I'd make it to act two without a cock in me. <laughs> <laughs> I need a cock in me right now. Now they're at the intermission, and Esther's hand is covered in Dr. Underwood's cum. She jerked uh -huh. him off. Get it, girl. But he won't touch her. No. This bench is going to smell like her fraternity, Jonathan said, his index finger rimming playfully around the opening of my cunt. August just gently teasing in my ass, occasionally running down to gather more of my arousal to keep his movements smooth. Oh, so Jonathan is Dr. Underwood's first name. Okay, I was like... That's someone now. <laughs> no, it's Dr. Underwood. August tells her to finish him off, and then they'll tell her what they have planned for Act 3. Act 3. I'd barely made it to the end of Act 1. A rather spectacular finale of every restrained human on stage being stuffed, mouth, cunt, cock, and ass by creatures I'd never even dreamed of before. Rook's grave. Without screaming for someone to fuck me, and they were saying I had another entire act to sit through before they had plans for me, I growled and dove down. August's hand pulling away as I took him into my mouth as deep as I could without gagging too much. I certainly wouldn't be telling him now, but I really love to suck August's cock. He always tasted so clean, and he held my head just right, encouraging me to take more than I could on my own without forcing me. 
I pulled hard, hollowing my cheeks, and was rewarded with a buck of his hips. I wish I could lick up all this juice she's spilling, Jonathan said with a sigh. Dang it! <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could get all of this juice. <laughs> Instead, rubbing it into my already slippery thighs. She'd come in a heartbeat, August grunted, nudging me a little farther down and releasing a groan. The lights flicker in the theater, which means the intermission is about to end. And August tells her to hurry so they don't miss the opening. She finishes him off and glares at both of them. And then she threatens to swan dive off the balcony and find someone who will fuck her. But they tell her <laughs> that act three is for the audience members. Oh, yeah. what's gonna happen? She says she wants to do that. She's interested. Oh, get it, girl. Dr. Underwood tells her there's a toy that uses electricity that he wants to use on her. It'll sting, but it'll also feel good, and then Mr. Tanner will fuck her after. Act 2 begins with a tub of murky water with a blue shadow at the bottom. A group of women enter the stage and climb in naked, and suddenly suctioned tentacles appear from the bottom of the tank. The tentacles grab each of the women one by one and drag them under. It's like an oh octopus. One girl had a tentacle plunging gently into her mouth, ass, and cunt, held bent above the water, being slowly twisted and turned so we could see every intrusion. The screams were quickly turning into moans and groans and occasional chants of praise or pleas for more. I was panting in sympathy, watching the muscles of the tentacles contract and relax. Another girl was plastered to the glass, the tentacles banding in a fascinating crisscross pattern over her thighs and stomach. One draped over her sex, sucker no doubt caressing her clit, given her lusty cries of ecstasy. How are they not drowning? I don't know. I guess it says hell bent above the water, but still, what the fuck? I think he's like waterboarding them a little bit. I know! <laughs> There's another girl bent over outside the tank, fucking herself with her fingers. At the end of the act, the masturbating girl is pulled into the tank and fucked with some more tentacles. And the crowd goes wild. Oh, (laughs) I'm sure they're eating this shit up. They are. Now it's time for the third act, and Esther is stoked. They're about to go on, and August tells her to have fun. There's a chair on the center of the stage, and the audience is all staring at her, and Jonathan undresses her. He has her stand and bend over. I swallowed and bent until my breast touched the stocking silk on my legs, and I could see the faces gazing at my bared sex. A warm hand cupped around my ass, sliding down, and my eyes fell shut. A shuddering breath released as Jonathan ran his fingertips over the crease of my ass, all the way to my clit. His hands stroked up and down over my stomach for a moment before reaching to spread the lips of my sex. One finger circled my clit as another plunged inside of me and I cried out as loud as I wanted, hips rocking into the touch. Crack! Ah! I stiffened at the slap over my clit, eyes widening, audience laughing softly. He tells her to sit on the chair, and she does with her legs open wide and pulls his device out of a little wooden box. And then he starts to shock her over and over, but she doesn't hate it. Mm. Like a bite, the ache echoed into my cunt with a clench, and I realized that for all I was mentally undecided about the feeling, physically I was absolutely on board. My thighs were slick already. Jonathan noticed at the same time, setting aside a want, to twist my thigh to the side. Dampness amplifies the sensation as well. Jonathan had turned the shocks down, or if I was growing accustomed to the snap of the electricity, the clench, the higher the wands rose, the more the spasms moved into my cunt. I was dripping, clenching, gasping, the wet squish of my sex gaping and begging buried under the moans and whimpers and sobs rising from my lips. The wet squish? 
She begs him not to stop, and he tells her she'll come in three more shocks, and it's going to hurt. I stiffened at the next shock, so high and close to my sex. I thought for sure I would come, but it was so brief, and then it was gone, and my chest was heaving for air. Again, Jonathan murmured, touching the other side of my weeping sex, watching me carefully as I seized and shook. He was tense, almost vibrating, and his eyes were as brilliant as lamps, Mr. Tanner nearly rising to the surface as he worked on me. Last one, he whispered. Oh, Christ, he's going to shock my... I screamed as the wands kissed against my engorged clit. Wetness rushed out of me and an uncontrollable gush, and Jonathan dropped the wands with a clatter to the floor, arm wrapping around my waist as my hands, my arms, my legs trembled and I went limp. <gasps> Ow, Chihuahua. Yeah, it doesn't sound enjoyable to me. <laughs> August comes up to the stage and Mr. Tanner makes his appearance and asks if she's ready to get fucked. Are you ready? Mr. Tanner starts to finger her. He has to work her up to his size since last time he had sex with her. Jonathan was already inside her when he shifted to Mr. Tanner. After a minute of this, he slowly fills her and the audience is going wild, starting their own frenzy of debauchery. So like everyone's just like starting to get all juiced up. Juiced up. (laughs) (laughs) She whines over and over again that she wants to see him and she keeps whining until he finally flips her over. To say he wasn't ugly would have been a lie it didn't stop me from wanting to look and it wasn't a horror or pity running through me it was a soft familiarity for all i'd never gone to look at the man in front of me my monster my monster (laughs) she starts pulling him to her so she can kiss and suck at whatever skin she can reach and he kind of relaxes and then starts to kiss her back and as soon as he's about to start fucking her she says to get on the floor she wants to fuck her monster our skin slapped wetly the sound echoing around the stage and there was a chorus from the dark audience others enjoying the same pleasure we took with each other you are mine i breathed to mr tanner smiling as his breasts began to pant this cock is mine i said a little louder a whine breaking in my tone oh god it feels so good sir you make me feel so good yes fuck yes oh god you're so big fuck me sir i love your fat <laughs> cock <laughs> Mr. Tanner chuckled, but he didn't stop, and I grinned down at him until his next thrust made my eyes cross. I hate when they say chuckled, because I'm just picturing them being like, oh, Oh, you love this fat cock. (laughs) She is starting to come when a figure rises in the crowd, and he just stands there and watches. His features are blurred, his eyes are blank, and he has an oily smile, and so now she's like confused by the fear she feels mixing with the pleasure from Mr. Tanner. But her and Mr. Tanner both finish and she leans down to whisper that someone is watching them and he quickly scoops her up off the stage to where August is waiting for them and they leave immediately. As they're on their way back to August's house, they tell her that the guy watching them was Bersha and he was the king of Gamora in the past and was supposedly killed but no one knows how he's like stayed immortal. They explain that he might try to take Esther to bring her back to Gamora where he would break her spirit in one of his houses similar to Rook's grave. 
but his houses don't have consent and the clients can do whatever they want to the girls. August and Esther go back inside his house as Mr. Tanner stays outside to keep a lookout. They end up falling asleep and she wakes up to a body behind her in curtains opening. Jonathan is behind her and she sees he's still deeply asleep so she wants to return the care that he gave her the night before. So she crawls under the blankets and waits for a minute but he doesn't wake up. I took the swollen tip of him between my lips and suckled, running my tongue up and down the seam and then flattening it under until he let out a sleepy moan. His hips bucked and I took him in hand, giving him something to fuck as I licked every inch of his staff. His staff? I've never seen that be used before. Giving him something to fuck as I licked every inch of his staff (laughs) until the motion was smooth. Why not his shaft? No, it's his staff. staff. He's now awake and she starts sucking his dick, but he pulls her up his body and throws the sheets off. He tells her either Mr. Tanner is sleeping or finally giving him his own chance so he's not going to waste it. Jonathan thrusts himself inside her, but she's still sensitive from the night before. But it's okay because Jonathan isn't nearly as big as Mr. Tanner. Oh, poor Jonathan. <laughs> He's just yeah. always coming in second. Mm-hmm. He poor slows guy. his pace because he wants to save her fucking her since they haven't gotten to before. Remember the first time that he tried, Mr. Tanner took over, so he didn't actually get to fuck her. So he kisses her and they make sweet, slow love. His voice deepens and he tells her that she has both of them now and he starts fucking her again roughly, so she's happy. Oh, you have both of us now. Some time passes, she asks about Bersha and he tells her Mr. Tanner actually met all August at one of Bersha's houses, but they weren't up to either of their tastes. He tells her he also spoke with Magda, and she has frozen the manor from new guests and is working towards making the wards of the house stronger. They both know it's about to get dark, and she asks if she can go wake up August the way she woke him up, and he's like, yeah, let's go. He leads her to a secret panel in a dark hallway until they stop at some stairs, and he tells her August will want to feed when he wakes up, so to stay still and not pull away so he doesn't tear her flesh. And then she opens the door and sees August on the bed, and Jonathan's like, go ahead, I'm gonna watch. Little cuck. I reached for his cock, wrapping my fingers around his base, nibbling at one of his nipples, and was surprised to find find it jump in my palm <laughs> what his nipple jumped <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> jonathan hands her a pitcher of oil and she slicks her hands i scooted forward to hover over august's now long and stiff cock holding it in my hand and sighing as i rubbed the head of it against my clit and down to my opening back and forth until the glide was slippery why are they always sighing <sighs> she sits on his dick and jonathan asks if he feels good so she starts to moan and looks at August when his face transforms. She is suddenly in the air and then on the bed as August bites her throat. August moaned, his jaw relaxing and shuddered against me, but his grip didn't ease, his hips lifting and snapping in a rush, so he clapped into me. August trapped me in his arms, fucking and feeding from me in a starving fury. His tongue lapped around the bite of his teeth, gathering the blood and his growl vibrated into my throat, echoing the thrum of pressure and pace beating into my cunt with his thrust. Oh my god, August. August continues to fuck her and Jonathan steps up behind him and his fingers are lubed up as he touches August's ass. <gasps> They're really good friends. Yeah, they are. August finally recognizes what he's doing and shouts, trying to push further into Esther to get away from Jonathan. 
Fuck him, I hissed to Jonathan. I want the both of you pinning me down. Jonathan settled closer, pushing August and my legs wider until I whined with the stretch, the ache cutting through my delirium as Jonathan gripped his shoulders and grunted with his first thrust. My vampire collapsed on top of me, leaving me nearly breathless, our bodies rocking with the force of Jonathan in his ass. <gasps> so Jonathan is just fucking his bomb? Uh-huh. Okay. As he's fucking her. But wait, August was trying to get away. But Esther said, you fuck him, I want to feel both of you on top of me. And then August was like, okay. 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 My girl gets what she wants. Yeah. Yes, she does. She comes immediately, but Jonathan tells her that she will come again. And as Jonathan fucks August and he fucks Esther, she forces another orgasm out just as the men have the orgasm at the same time. August throws Jonathan off him onto the bed and kisses him passionately. And after they kiss, they all lay together and ponder how their night will end if she's feeling a little sore right now. Yeah. You guys are crazy. How do you want more later? But it's Esther. She always wants more. Always. She a horn dog. They get back to Rooksgrave Manor and she's excited to see Booker and her other gentlemen, but that's like all she misses about being away. She's reunited with Ezra and Booker, but it's very short-lived because Magda wants to see her. When they get to her office, there's another woman and man in there, and Magdalena explains that she's from a sister house of Rook's grave, and they both have lost a girl to unexpected visitors. They all suspect it's Bersha, but don't go into anything further, and Magdalena dismisses them. Esther's woken up by an invisible force, licking and petting her while also holding her down. Who could it be? I don't know. Who is it? When she opens her eyes, though, she's screams and thrashes to get away from the strange man that is pinning her down. But Ezra's like, it's me. Calm down. It's me. So she can see him now. Because when she opened her eyes, she's like, who the fuck is this? She's like, oh my god, you're ugly. A big, dopely, handsome face smiling nervously down at me. Big nose, massive, full lips for sucking, blondish red hair tossed messily around his head, the sides shaved, freckles over his nose and cheeks down into his red beard, and those hips between mine, the incredible width of them. Oh, So he's I love a him. little strawberry blondie. Little hottie patati. This big old nose. <laughs> She's excited to see him, but he lets her know that it's not permanent. He has to concentrate to stay visible. She climbs on top of him and sits on his dick, and his image flickers as he fucks her. He fucks her fast and hard because he has to go spy on people for Magdalena. So, like, one of his perks of being there now, like, with a membership paid, is that he also has to be a spy for the house. But that's, like, his forte. Yeah, he's a little sneaky thief. He loves it. When she wakes up sometime later, she goes to see Magda in her office, and she lets Esther know that Eamon is on his way to check on her. Esther asks if she can help Magda with anything in the fight against what's going on, but she quickly shuts talk of that down. And she goes outside when she sees Eamon's carriage pull up so she can greet him. And he's just as beautiful as she remembers. They take a walk and catch up. She tells him that she missed him and they have a conversation about sharing. She admits that she's falling in love with the others and could possibly fall in love with Eamon if he shares his time and doesn't treat her as a possession. I fucking hate Eamon. Fuck you, Eamon. He's my least favorite one. Mine too. I like Booker, a marble man with no brain more than I like this guy. Yeah. He drags her inside and tells her that she's right and he will adjust and learn because she's worth it and he wants to hear her say that she'll fall in love with him too again. He kisses her passionately and tells her he wants to know exactly how much she missed him. Not at all. She kind of is hesitant about seeing him but then she's like okay with it after she sees him. Eamon left for the night and the next morning she wakes up and rolls right onto Booker. She is surprised but happy because she's going to get her morning treat now that she's back. 
So remember, every morning she gets something from Booker. She gets a little surprise from Bookie Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a good servant. He's just there to serve his woman. He is. My forehead dropped to his and I moaned as he kept to his word of getting me off in the mornings. Touch simple but effective. I searched for his mouth with mine, his lips full and firm but giving as I bit and tugged on his flesh, Booker grunting in response, following for more. Isn't he fucking made of stone? Yeah. It's like still like clinks when she touches him, but like there's a little give on like his lips and stuff. Ah, uh, that makes sense. I guess. She begs him to fuck her, but he lets her know August said to wait. She's surprised by this, but Booker is just like, I was just doing what I'm told. Booker shrugged, and then his lips curled up as he switched hands, taking the fingers now, slippery with my arousal, and moving them to the crease of my ass. My eyes widened with the first press of a digit against the puckered hole. Not the puckered hole. (laughs) Always the puckered puckered hole. hole. He starts fingering both holes and tells her August wants to watch some fuck so he can use... Only his fingers and mouth this morning. She comes and he sets her on the bed and spreads her thighs. Now mouth, he murmured. (laughs) (laughs) I started to laugh, but with the first stroke of his cool, hard tongue and the way it narrowed to a point to swirl around my clit, my voice was stolen. Now mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Now mouth. He's a man of few words. He is. is. Why say lot word when few word do trick? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. So this is later in the day. Her and August are doing a social night with the other girls and their gentlemen. So remember before when Esther wasn't invited to like the party downstairs or whatever? It's because she didn't have a gentleman with her to like partake because she can't take other ladies' gentlemen. Fair. But Booker could have gone with her. He's just a servant. Yeah, I think she's probably the only one fucking her servant. I think so, too. Probably. During dinner, she reprimands August for controlling Booker the way he did. Them and the other couples leave the dining room to the social room. The room they went to, there's already people there kissing and licking, and it's kind of like the theater... So she's like, okay, cool. Didn't know this happened here. She tells August she wants to watch, but Ezra whispers in her ear that they can all do better than watch. So he just appears out of nowhere. He's invisible right now. Surprise, bitch. I was on my tummy, draped over the arching settee. My skirt flipped up to bear my ass to the room. A strong grip held me open. My legs stretched wide for me to straddle the furniture and a wet tongue prodded at the tight entrance of my ass. August tells Ezra to get her off and then it's his. His turn and she wants to know what August means by his. And then she looks up to see Booker shirtless. Oh. August asks if she wants Booker here or upstairs and she interrupts and says, right here. I want you on top of him. I want to see what it looks like as he fills and spears you. Spears you with his peen ass. <laughs> his penis. August pushes her dress and slip over her head as Booker undoes his pants and she gets to see his wiener for the first time. That beautiful marble dick. Magdalena was an artist, and while Booker was, essentially, a man in form, a very pleasing one, she'd let her creativity out in one particular area. He had ridges, almost like curves, and ropes of muscles, and a fat, flared head that curved to a gentle tip that would be easier to take in at the start. And there, at the base of him, were carved white curls, streaked 
with gray veins of marble. My mouth watered at the thought of how those curls would feel on my clit, and August had to snap a bite on the muscle of my throat to catch my attention again. That's an interesting looking one. A true <laughs> masterpiece. At least she didn't do like the Michelangelo thing, where he has just like the tiniest little weenie. True. <laughs> she cut off. She cut off. She walks towards Booker and they kiss, and his kiss is fragile and gentle, and then she tells him to get on his back. I caught a breath and then lifted a leg to straddle Booker's hips, and the stretch already impressive as I lowered myself down until my clit kissed the cool stone of the base of his cock. I shivered at the contrast in temperature, and Booker let out a gritty grunt as I cupped my hand around his length and holding it in place for me to rub against him. <laughs> she then shifts so his dick is at her interest and slides down. Both her and Booker groan. Booker tells her she is perfect as his dick curves inside her and she fucks herself on him. August steps forward and starts to undress as she fucks Booker loudly and urgently until she comes. And as she's laying on Booker, she feels August's slick fingers into her butt. Her butt. Oh, not the anus. <laughs> her puckered hole. Her tight <laughs> ring of muscle. Her sphincter. <laughs> he stretches her further by adding two more fingers. And then August says, Stay soft like this. Let everyone see what a good little obedient girl you are. How well you take us. He gets behind her and slowly starts to fill her. After a little bit of slow rocking and a lot of kisses, August and Booker finally are both filling her. August comments on how good Booker feels too because he could feel like all the ridges and ropes of Booker. Yeah, because he's literally fucking stone. Yeah. Before he starts moving, he asks if she's okay to continue and she says yes. Of course she is. Yeah, she's fine. Don't even ask. Yeah. As she starts fucking herself on the two of them, she sees Ezra flickering in and out of view with his hands in his pants and she's like you too come here and then she takes him in her mouth she wakes up alone minus booker he is looking out the window and goes to her for her morning ritual except it's not really booker and the person who talks with booker's body and voice lets her know that golems are wonderful tools to be filled with a master's purpose and she immediately knows it's bersha so he somehow <gasps> got control over booker no yeah can you imagine like you're like cool i get my morning treat and then it's just not him but it is him yeah and then she just has to get like blue balls essentially blue walls Bersha says he understands why they all like her but he would rather crush her than keep her and he uses Booker's body to start choking her but she tells Bersha that she knows Booker would never hurt her because he's not some empty vessel as she starts to pass out she sees Booker's eyes go from white to blue and she can feel him trying to fight Bersha off Booker loosens his grip as her door opens and Jonathan comes in he demands to know what's going on and she tells him him, and then Booker finally lets her go so Jonathan could check her throat, but she grabs Booker's hand just in case Bersha tries to take over him again. So she thinks if they stay connected, like touching, he can't take him. Mm -hmm. Jonathan's now trying to fight back Mr. Tanner, but she tells him to let him out so he knows that she's safe. And then Ezra walks in right as Mr. Tanner comes out. She's in bed with almost all her gentlemen and Magda standing at the foot of her bed with Booker next to her. We learn that Magda's magic over Booker has now a thin connection and Esther really did help stop from anything happening. But if her connection is thin, it means that literally anybody can use Booker. Oh, poor little Booker. They have to kill him. Do they? They gotta smash him with a hammer. <laughs> Magda says the only other solution besides remaking the tether is to connect him and Esther together instead. So it's decided that he's gonna be tied to Esther now. They also all agree that August and Eamon need to be informed of what happened this morning. And when Eamon arrives later on, he seems really calm for every that's happening.
happening since he does have like a short temper and he just keeps looking at the bruises on her neck. He puts like some magic oil on her neck to heal her and there's a commotion in the hall and Mary's being kicked out of the house. I forgot to include that Esther caught Mary out by the lock with the the villager. So she Uh. was inviting him on to the property so she could fuck him and then get money for it. A little side hustle. Sneaky bitch. So she's getting kicked out for that because Ezra obviously told Magda about it because that's not cool. Later in the evening, August doesn't handle the whole Booker situation calmly like Eamon does. He is furious and even went to attack Booker, like try to bite him with his fangs and everything. Just like break his little fangs. I know. <laughs> He's gonna chip one. Booker didn't do it. No. He finally comes down and they all go to Magda's office to tether Booker and Esther together. Magda starts chanting the spell to tether them and the lights start to flicker and she yells to hold on to Booker because Bursh is trying to break through again. And then with Eamon's magic, he helps fight Bursha off and then Esther feels the tethers taking hold. With every strand came a lovely warm pressure stacking comfortably in my heart. Possessiveness, amusement, pleasure, appreciation. Blanket after blanket of care laid on top of me, steadying me just as my golem did. Huh. They finish the ceremony and Esther runs to him and says that he's now safe and he says, I'm yours. I am yours. Me. Yours. <laughs> she is fucking Ezra in the study and after he finishes, he lets her know she won't be coming and decides to play a little game. You're going to lie here, just like this, and you're going to wait and see who finds you first, and then you're going to beg them to get you off, and Pusin, <laughs> I'll be watching. <laughs> Pusin. I'll know if you don't do as I ask. Pusin. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that shit right. <laughs> I don't know how to say it at all. Yeah, so. me either. You're probably doing better than any of us. She's nervous about the game, but also excited. So she does as she's told. And then a few minutes later, guess who walks through the door? Hey, man. Booker. Uh (laughs) Good guess, though. Could have been anyone. (laughs) Any one of her boys. She begs Booker to fuck her, and he does. And then she hears Jonathan tell Booker to keep her at the edge and to not let her come. She's shocked to see Jonathan, but realizes they all had this planned out. And he's like, of course we did. You think we would let some random man fuck you? No. No, no. Uh -uh. Jonathan steps up to her and undoes his pants. He fed me his length with steady patience, waiting for me to suck and lick at every inch before offering me another. I reached up to work his sack gently in my hands, (laughs) humming at the clean taste of him. How like my gentle doctor to ready himself for my sake before fucking himself into my throat. Yes, yes, that's it, Jonathan said on a sigh. Whenever you like, Booker, and as often as you can make her, keep her crying on me. Yes, Booker. Yes, Booker. Yes, Booker, yes. They all finish, and at the end of the week, they head to Eamon's house. He's making dinner for everyone. They approach a huge house, about as big as Rooksgrave Manor. Both her and Ezra feel like a kinship about the whole situation, because they both feel very out of place, because usually they're not invited to houses like this as guests. They're like always below the owners of the houses. Eamon greets everyone at the door and lets them know that dinner is almost done, but they can get drinks first. Eamon keeps smiling through dinner and doesn't look uncomfortable at all, and everyone's getting along when Eamon says that he has a specific motive for asking them all there. He wants to know about Esther's future with all of them. She's really nervous now because she's like, oh shit. But he tells her that her timeline is up to her on leaving Rooksgrave 
but all of them are in agreement that they want to continue their relationship outside of Brooke's grave. So they're like, you can leave whenever you want, but can like we still all do this? Mm. Make it official. Yeah. yeah. What is this? Like a quad? No, there's so many. Booker, Eamon, Ezra. August, Mr. Tanner, Jonathan. Mr. Tanner, Jonathan. Oh, shit. Yeah. I wasn't counting Mr. Tanner and Jonathan. Yeah. That's two. But that's two. It sure is. They're like a little family. The weirdest little family. Yeah. Yeah. They all tell her they can live wherever she wants and they give her ideas. But she realizes Booker is the only one who hasn't spoken about this. So she's like, Booker, what do you think? What do you want to do? And he says that he's hers. But if it were up to him, he would really like to travel. And she's excited about his response because she thinks that maybe they could all just go have fun little adventures. But she asks them if they're okay with her outside of Rook's grave because she doesn't have a skill and she doesn't have something to fill her days with. They tell her that they don't care what she does or where they go. They just want to be with her. And then she says that she accepts their offer and when she's ready to leave Rook's grave, she will let them know so they all celebrate. Their celebration, though, is not what I was expecting at first. It is massaging every inch of her body before they fuck her. So she literally just has <laughs> all of them massaging her with oil. Let's celebrate massage me. August gets to drink her blood from the inside of her thigh before he starts to eat her out and then she begs Eamon to make August let her finish but he says that he would rather watch them all have their way with her. August latched onto my clit kissing and sucking on it alternately. Booker nibbled and pinched each pert tip of my breast and there was a strand electricity running between their attention lighting me up from inside brighter and brighter with every sustained second until suddenly it burst in a shower of sparks August's fingers slid into me, his mouth traveling to bite next to my sex as I clutched and spasm onto his touch. Booker gentled his own teasing, leaning back as I came back down from my high, blinking and grinning lazily. Now it's Ezra's turn, but they all ask him to be invisible so they can watch as she's being filled without his body in the way. Uh, yeah, they're like, do you mind? We don't want to look at you. We want to look at We don't want to see her. you. Be invisible, invisible man. I feel like that would hurt my feelings. I'd be like, okay, I can't participate like the rest of you. You don't <laughs> think I'm beautiful? You don't think my dick is hot? She asks Booker if she could suck his dick while being filled, and he sheds his clothes and steps up to them. Ezra started to move between my hips, and I swallowed the head of Booker, letting Ezra's motion rock my lips around Booker's cock, my tongue twisting around the smaller tip as the swells and bumps on his length teased my mouth like kisses. Tickles, Booker <laughs> mumbled. <laughs> Tickles. Tickles. And then grumbled as I pulled my lips back to let him feel my teeth. His hips jumped just a little deeper, and he shifted himself in and out, my eyes widening. He liked it. Booker liked teeth. I grinned and started to bob, finding Ezra's ass with my heels and driving him on. He likes teeth. Booker likes teeth. Well, he's made of stone, so like, what's the worst that could happen, you know? That's true. He's a little freak. <laughs> Tickles. <laughs> as they continue this, Jonathan brings out his vibrating machine and touches her clit with it and she comes immediately. As she does. Ezra also finishes and Jonathan tells him his time is up anyway. She turns to find August on the platform and offers her ass to Jonathan. She asks if Eamon is jealous and he says no, a queen deserves her consorts. August pulls her down on his cock as Jonathan puts a finger in her ass. God damn. Mr. Tanner is now filling her up and asks if she's ready for Eamon soon and if she's going to be a good little girl and come on his cock. 
Eamon came to stand directly in front of me, watching the scene with a gaze that was pure gold, the color boiling in his pent-up arousal. His cock was high and weeping, the head already slightly swollen and curving with his hook. And I wanted to lean forward and lick it, but he was too far away. Mr. Tanner finishes and Eamon grabs her and slides into her easily. I'm sorry, who wants to go after Mr. Tanner? No one should want to go after him. He has the biggest dick out of all of them. Yeah. She's just going to be gaping after Yeah, you would just feel inadequate. <laughs> it's like a hot dog down a hallway. Mm-hmm. He fucks her fast and tells her there will be more. She wakes later with a foggy memory of being washed and put to bed. She's in between Booker and Eamon right now. Jonathan is on the other side of Eamon and Ezra on the other side of Booker. August had to go back to Rooksgrave for the crypt since Eamon's house doesn't have one. They all ask how she's feeling this morning and she's confused that she's not more sore and Eamon says that he used the magic oil to help it make it easier for her. And then she says that she misses August and wants to be close to him, so they all decide to go back to the manor. As they're on their way back, Eamon says something is wrong and he needs to fly, so he throws himself out of the carriage and his wings break free and he goes to the sky. They all want to know what's going on and Booker says it's Rook's grave and he points ahead. There's dark clouds rising in the distance where the manor should be. They ask the carriage to hurry and Mr. Tanner is shaking to be let out. And as they get closer, they see all the girls outside in their nightgowns. Ezra and Booker rush outside as Mr. Tanner holds her back. Magda rushes to them and lets her know that three ifrits, which I had to Google and they're like weird, gross demon things, appeared this morning with Siobhan's invite. So Siobhan was the one lady from the other house who lost a girl. Oh, okay. The other madam. She lets Esther know Eamon is at the lake gathering water with the others and most of the girls and their gentlemen made it out. She begs for them to find August, but it's too dangerous being daylight out and they can't risk getting fire into the crypt because fire kills the vampires too. So they just have to hope and wait that he's okay. She grabs onto Booker's tether to try to make him leave the manor, but now all the villagers are coming up to see what the commotion is. Booker finally listens to the tether and comes out of the burning manor with Cassie's limp body in his hands. She was trying to get to the vampires to warn them because she has her own vampire gentleman. She was the one from the beginning that she was like telling her to eat sweet stuff. Oh yeah. Booker then lets them know that Ezra's trapped underground, so the cavern to the vampire's crypt. Ezra was going to go warn them as well, but it's caved in, so now he's stuck down there with them, hopefully alive. Eamon offers to bring everyone to his house so the villagers don't start asking questions. Her gentlemen are going back to look for Ezra and August and anyone else, and she demands to go with them, but she can't since she's human. No one can, like, stay outside to protect her. She decides to help Magda and the elves take care of people to pass the time. A lot of the women have burns, and a lot of the gentlemen do as well, and the only one that actually died from it that they know of so far is Cassie. Oh, she died. She was nice. She was very nice. Magda blames herself, but Esther tries to make her feel better. And then Jonathan and the others get back before dawn. The caved-in tunnels can't be breached, but Booker thinks Ezra made it past the cave-in, so he's not, like, stuck in all the rubble. There's also another path to the crypts nearby. They could try again the next night. Jonathan kisses her, and they go to find Eamon and Booker. When they do find them, Eamon introduces the woman he's with as his stepsister, Kepri. He called his sister to help Magda with protection wards, because, like, the Sphinx protection magic or whatever is, like, better than the witches. Magda 
thankful that Kepri wants to help, but she also wants to meet Esther. They all go their separate ways after saying their thank yous and stuff, and Eamon tells her tomorrow she can go with them because he feels better having her close than being left behind. The next night, at the manor, the other gentlemen are helping to try to fix some of the aftermath, but they notice at the front of the manor, there's villagers, and they're like sorting through the rubble, taking like jewels, like anything left behind. And guess who is with them? Jacob Combs. And Mary. The girl that got fired. <gasps> Fuck you, Mary. She gets escorted to the tunnels to see the progress being made to the cave-in with the big bull-like man. His name is Asterian. We love a bull-like man. We do. <laughs> Shelby doesn't, but Charlotte and Riley do. Oh, oh. As they're walking, she hears her name being called and she thinks it sounds like August. So she takes off running and Asterian's like fucking stop so he starts yelling for tanner and aemon to hurry up but she loses asterian and can hear aemon and tanner yelling for her but she keeps going until she spots a small light and hears august's voice again she follows it and follows it and follows it until she reaches the cavern and august is there but his hands are staked and bleeding to the roots of a tree and he has a rag shoved in his mouth. And there's none other than Bersha sitting at a table. Bersha, Bersha, Bersha. He tells her to sit. No one's coming to find her and she feels stupid for falling into another one of his traps. He tells her August will watch her die and until then he will enjoy destroying her gifts and the art of flesh. She's confused and is like, so you want to fuck me? And he says, no, I want to rape you. <gasps> yeah. I do not want your consent. She's like, no, but I'll give it. Yeah. You will. You just have to ask. <laughs> He's like, I know that will be difficult for a nympho like you. So that's why August will be there to watch and hopefully ruin it. She stands up and she says, no matter what you do to me, my gentlemen have already done it and I fucking liked it. So I'll probably like it with you. And she walks closer to him, sinks to her knees. And she's like, so what do you want? Pick a hole. <laughs> he grabs her throat and lifts her up and tells her that that plan will not work with him. He wants power, not pleasure, and he will put every monster in a cage to break them, including her. And then something cold presses into her hand against the table, and she grabs it, and her arm shoots forward and stabs Bersha. Ezra is invisible, helping her shove the knife further in and twists it. Get it, Ezra? Ezra pulls her away as more voices cry from the tunnel, and Bersha opens his mouth to speak again, but she like pulls from Ezra's grasp, rips the knife out of him, and then stabs him in the throat. And just as Eamon and Tanner are rushing in, he starts glowing and then he just disappears. So he's gone. Ezra asks if she's okay and she throws herself against him and hugs him. And then she runs to August to help get him off the tree roots and kisses him. He immediately tries to bite her since he's been underground without being fed and bleeding for multiple days. So she's like, you need to feed for me. And he's like, absolutely not. I'm going to kill you. But she's like, no, you won't. You're fine. And she makes him do it. So he feeds from her. And Ezra tells Eamon and the others that Bersha has been there since the very first night. And that Ezra tried to get August out, but Bersha caught up to them. And he also tells them about the other vampires, but they found their bodies. So Bersha was like eating their hearts and stuff while they were alive. Ah. They all leave, but Eamon stops them before leaving the tunnel. It's almost dawn, and he tells August he can protect him from the sun if he trusts him. And he's kind of weary, but August is like, okay, do what you got to do. He spreads his wings to offer a dark shadow so they can all go back to his house. And as they walk to the carriage, August 
puts his hand out of the shadows of the wings and feels the sun on his fingers and nothing happens. So then slowly Eamon draws his wings back and the sun hits August's cheeks and again he's safe. And Jonathan's like, what did you do? How long is this going to last? And Eamon says, it's his gift to August. It cannot be taken away. So now he can walk in the sun with Esther. <gasps> oh. Yeah. And this scene made me like go like, hee Because August is super giddy and smiling so big. So he tells Esther that they can never be parted again now. I was Aww. like, that's so nice. Sweet. When they all wake up later on, she tells them that she loves them all and they say it back and they kiss her. She asks what they do now and they are like, whatever you want. But Eamon has a suggestion. He suggests going to Egypt, which is where he's from, because it's close to the original Gomorrah and they could possibly find something on how to destroy Bersha and they would all be safe as well. So it's all agreed upon. They go to Egypt. She says her goodbyes to the girls in Magda and she cries and says how much she will miss her. And then Magda gives her a present and it's an old tarot deck in case she needs guidance. And then she also lets Esther know that the new house will be called Star Manor. So they're like taking over Eamon's house as the new Rook's grave. Okay. We go to the epilogue. It's one year later. They're in Egypt and they think that they found some information in old tombs that might help them. Every day she reads her cards and thinks there's something more that they'll be learning soon. Jonathan lets them know that the theater in London has had trouble with Bersha and that the theater needs all their help. And she's like, do you think we're ready? And he says, yeah, I think so. So they go all part to pack up to leave for London again when August approaches her and he asks her for a moment of her time and wonders if she remembers a question she asked a year ago. So a year ago, she said, do you think I would make a good vampire? <sighs> so he answers and he says that he thinks that she would, but it's 100% her choice. But it means that they would have forever together. And she wants to, but with the other's blessings, since they are a family. And then they can all live forever because she is only human. The end. The end! We don't know if she turns into a vampire. Is there a second book? I think so. Okay. So, Riley, how many red pepper emojis do you give this one? So, it was fairly spicy, you know? Very spicy. But I think I would give it like a three and a half. Okay. Okay. That's fair. It was good. It was good. Entertaining. The spice was good. But it was just that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh I feel like the plot was an afterthought. Yes. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Like, they were like, oh, now we need to do a plot. I've written the smut. Now how can I add some plot? Yes. Yes. That's how it felt. And would you trade places with Esther? No. Sounds kind of (laughs) cool. Do you want to rank the men from hottest to least hottest? Yes, I do. Ezra. August. Booker. Mr. Tanner, Jonathan, Eamon. Okay. That's a respectable list. It is. Yeah. I need to hear yours now. I'm going to go Ezra, August, Jonathan, Mr. Tanner, Booker, Eamon. Okay. Okay. Shelby. I'm going to go August. Oh. Uh-huh. And then um, Ezra, and then Jonathan, and then I kind of like Booker. So yeah, I'll go Booker, Mr. Tanner, and then Eamon. Eamon is last. Fuck you, Eamon. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like we all have our priorities right. And next week's book is going to be Ensnared by Tiffany Roberts. And we're going to have Riley look at the cover and give us her best guess on what it might be about. Oh. It looks like we have some type of, like, (laughs) Spider-Man. Like, he looks like a man, but he also has, like, spider-like... Not the Spider-Man. No, not the (laughs) Spider-Man. It's like he's got a bunch of legs like a spider. And they have little... Sharp things. And then we have, like, a human girl. I think she's going to get caught in his little web. Okay. (laughs) And he's going to fuck her. Okay. 
but I don't know how she's going to get there. We're going to have to see. Well, if you liked this episode, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Smut Up and Listen Podcast and TikTok at Smut Up and Listen. Tell your friends, but not your mom. And we'll see you later, you horny little rats.